Okay, we are back with another awesome episode of the Ash Cash Show. First, before we start with part two of our conversation with Miss Asha Tarry, we do have Miss McClarity, the CEO and founder of Young Faces Smiling, talking to us about her journey as we celebrate and commemorate those for Teacher Appreciation Day. But then we start talking to Miss Asha Tarry, who gives us a powerful, powerful second interview talking about everything under the sun as it relates to mental well-being, especially that of those of people of color. So that's it. Enough of my voice. Let's rock out. WHCR 90.3 FM, New York. I ain't talking about rich. I'm talking about wet, wet, wet. Money ain't a thing. Money ain't a thing. Money in the bank. Money in the bank. We can talk, but money talk. So talk money. Ash cash show. Ash cash show. The ash cash show. Ash cash show. The ash cash show. Ash cash show. The ash cash show. 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 Ash cash show. Ash cash show. Now tuned in to the Ash Cash Show, your number one source for financial motivation. Get your mind and your money right. Happy Friday. Welcome to the Ash Cash Show. Every Friday, 7 p.m., WACR 90.3 FM, New York, The Voice of Harlem, with Ash Cash and Miss Tashima Jones. Ms. Yes, Jones, I am well and so excited to be here as always. And so, you know, <laughs> we, 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 we normally start the show with a daily word uh, to inspire and motivate you, but we wanted to do it a little different today uh, because we have a special guest in the building. And, and so this week is Teacher Appreciation Week, Yes, where we appreciate teachers who are making it happen for our next generation, who are focused on education, who are doing the tireless and the selfless job of making sure that our students are prepared for life and to take the world, right? It's a big responsibility. Yes. Take the world. Uh, into a, a new direction, and so uh, we have, uh, you know, my my friend, uh, somebody that that I've known for a very long time, Miss McClarity, and she is the CEO of Young Faces Smiling, uh, a nonprofit organization that is bringing the fun back into education. No, that was I just did that. <laughs> Uh, but but really bring the fun back into education, um, and so you know just wanted to uh, bring her on and 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 talk about how much we appreciate you. But Miss McClarity, how are you today? Welcome, I'm welcome, doing welcome. fine. I'm wonderful. And so you know, t- talk to the people first and foremost because you've been an educator for for many many years. Uh, talk to us about your background. Where did you start? Uh, give us your, your your background on education. I'm Miss McClarity, the co-founder of Young Faces Smiling, and I was born and raised on 129th and Lenox. Yeah, and Harlem. so I'm I'm Harlem. Yes, and um, so I typically grew up in a single parent home. Saw my father one time for 20 minutes. Wow, mm. and um, I grew up during a time when the crack epidemic was really, really, really big, and I was just your typical bad kid. Like around 11 years old, crack just took over my entire block, and my friends were actually selling and. They was like, 
come on, like just count the money. And so at a very young age, I wasn't even thinking about education. I was your typical CDF student. And um, I didn't want to necessarily sell drugs, but I wanted to count drugs money so that I can make $1,000 a week at 10 or 11 so I could just get up out the hood because Harlem was really bad. So I am really a miracle in a sense because even up until my senior year, I went to A. Philo Randolph campus, high school, my senior year, and I had to take classes here at City College, and I still was doing bad. So I really wasn't your typical educator. And and then when when did that pivot happen? When did you uh, pivot from the life of crime. I didn't even notice all this about I'm, you. I'm, I'm sitting yeah, no, here that's like... That's the beginning of my yeah, book. Yeah, I didn't even I'm yeah. like, I um, first of all... Yeah, no, I'm a bad, bad, bad girl. Meaning turned. good. Bad good. meaning good. Yes. Yeah. Wow. No, no, bad meaning bad. <laughs> and like, then you turn Literally, yeah. like in elementary wow. school, my principal, they started calling me crazy wow. and was like, you need to go to jail because I was wow. fighting wow. right behind the Apollo at PS 154. Like, wow. fighting to, to kill. And my principal, his name is Mr. Grant. I'll never forget it. He came out in the, in the playground yard yep. and was like, you're so going you to jail. You crazy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the Floyd yeah, yeah. Mayweather hands. Oh, wow. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And then I went okay. to 195 <laughs> Junior yeah, High yeah, School. And um, that's when I was in a gang and we were talking you about... a gang? Yeah, using wow. guns and okay. shooting people and stuff. And wow. that was just... Okay, what's the name of your book? Young Faces Smiling, Changing Lives. Mm. Okay. And my whole life was changed with the many people that I had in my life, but in particular, my co-founder, my mentor, Dr. Eloise L. Young. So when I was supposed to go to jail, um, my mother is a gospel singer, and she was teaching music with Dr. Young at White Plains, and she called her one day and said, I'm tired of beating her. You know, I'm tired of this. I can't understand why this girl don't get it. Um, And Dr. Young was like, send her to White Plains on a weekend, and I'm going to straighten her out. And Mm. so Dr. Young basically saved my life from the streets of Harlem, changed my life, showed me a different world, mentored me, and my whole life just totally changed. It took a couple of, you know, years, maybe a decade, but it kind of just changed. And then finally, when when that change happened, what led you to... Uh, education. Talk to us about your, your education career. So when I went to college at 17, what school um, did you go to? I went to the State University of Albany. Nice. Same here. You I knew that. Did you go to 154 as well? Yes. I went to 154 I did the layup. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Okay. And so I grew up in um, in church, <laughs> believe it or not. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely a church girl. I'm Kojic, Church of God in Christ. And the people there just kept saying, you're going to college. We don't care how bad your grades are, mm. how bad your SAT are. You're going And then the principal Dr. Lottie L. Taylor My senior year It was like May We was graduating in June She was like Well what college are you going to Because I was the senior class secretary And I was like I'm not going to college mm. And they were like You're going mm. And so my mentor Dr. Eloise L. Young Ms. Taylor The church They was just like You're going And I applied to 10 colleges, got denied from all 10, but my mother and Dr. Young talked to Hank Shuford and said, can you just bring her in on probation? Because my mother worked four jobs to pay for everything. Wow. So I was an EOP, and I went to SUNY my freshman (laughs) semester, and I was on probation the whole time. And they said I would never graduate. And then so now, you know, you graduate, you know, college, 
uh, what happens after that? So I graduate. Um, I, so, so my senior year, graduating from SUNY Albany, 21. I didn't know what I wanted to do. But I was working for President Swaggett, H. Patrick Swaggett. And he said to me, you got to get your master's and PhD. And I was like, what? I barely graduated, you know, undergrad. I had like a 2-7. Wow. And I didn't take a GRE or anything like that. And he was like, you have to go to college and do something. And so he um, he's called the president of the College of St. Rose. And was like, I have somebody that works for me that's like a daughter. She needs to continue her education and let's work it out. And I got a full two year ride to the College of St. Rose with a stipend. Wow. So for you to to grow up how you did and in the environment that you did and to go on and to do these things that people said or that maybe you even yourself maybe didn't see yourself doing. um, What is that like? personally to prove that to yourself what 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 is that like it was it was really amazing to do that um but I have to really commend all of the strangers because I grew up with just my mother I had no blood family in my entire life to help me so everybody that helped me in life was a stranger that became family and so um I also pledged and my sorority sisters and the AKAs and the Sigmas. I mean, the environment of SUNY Albany, it was just like, why are you getting C's? Like, you have a full ride. Like, your mother sends you money for toothbrushes and toothpaste. Mm, mm-hmm, like, get this thing mm-hmm. together. And so I majored, I did a double major. So when I began to major in African-American studies, and then I began to learn about the fact that we came from kings and queens, that we supposed to be educated, it just was like... Oh my goodness! So I it, didn't know it, that it created a sort of paradigm shift yes. in you to know your roots and to know where you truly came from. And it's interesting because we've actually had this conversation about where do we start when we speak to the youth and mm. when we we speak to the culture. Where do we start? Um, and Ash, of course, was like. Let's start from the now or the kings and queens. Don't go to that middle passage where it's like the daunting situation that we endured. So that's just an interesting... um, It's the middle of the story. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's that. And it's the African-American studies, the history that's not taught in public schools. Mm -hmm. And so I was a freshman, 17, at SUNY Mm -hmm. Albany, and that's when I even realized that Malcolm X's funeral was actually at my church. Mm -hmm. Like... I just didn't pay attention, I guess, growing up with adults. And then when I was at City College, I had Professor Jeffries. And then my freshman year, SUNY Albany, I had Toni Morrison. Those they, wow. they just was too deep. It was just too much. It was just too So you study under powerful. the Toni Morrison? Yes. And I, That's I had to drop out of her class because I couldn't deal with it at 17. Because wow. she was just too intelligent. And then, and then so graduate, what, what, do you, what do you do professionally? Because I want to yes. get to... So you know, I, I did teacher appreciation week. I did the I did so the we bachelor's, yep. a few masters, yep. um, teacher. Yep. Um, I taught elementary, junior high school, high school, and I'm presently teaching college. Nice. And then I'm actually in school now. I'm I'm working on my PhD nice. in educational leadership. So Dr. McClary. And Hopefully so, real soon. And so and so, you know, you 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 know, what made you go into being a teacher? Because I wanted to help as many kids that I could like myself. Like, um, I know that that sounds kind of cliche, but I didn't get it. I didn't really listen. Um, I was a little hard headed and I just felt like I got to I got to go young and prove to kids that you could be something. So I started teaching. I think I was like 22 
And I just felt like I just had to go and help as many kids as they as I can during that elementary time because that's when I was really bad, like elementary, junior high school. That's yeah. when I was just really terrible. And then so, you know, now, you know, you are a teacher, you're teaching, uh, and you start an organization called Young Faces Smiling with a mission to innovate educational enrichment programs that connect students to celebrities and their career experiences. And, and so one of your, your vision uh, is to utilize pop culture as a catalyst to affect positive ac- academic change, to help in the transformation of learning experiences for students and to ensure a young face will smile. Talk to us about that. Yeah, so I was teaching for a while, and then I decided, you know, I, I wanted the African-American curriculum, but that's not there. And then I went back so that I can do an assistant principal. And as I went up to do assistant principal principal, um, I realized that, you know, we didn't have as much power as I thought that you would have. And as far as con- changing the curriculum, you know, America has their curriculum, the state has their curriculum, and you just have to follow the curriculum. And so... Um, During the couple of decades that I was um, actually teaching, a lot of my students kept saying, Ms. McClarity, the curriculum is boring, it's not real, it doesn't relate to my life, we don't really want to learn what you're teaching. And then celebrities and hip-hop just started invading my classroom. Like, Mm. no matter what I was teaching and what I was doing, the kids would constantly talk about celebrities, basketball players, and and hip-hop. Wow. And so I was like, we got to do something. And so in 2005, unfortunately, my mother had breast cancer. Thank God she's still living. Dr. Young, my mentor, was like, and my nickname is Face. Mm-hmm. So the company is named after her. So her last name is Young. My nickname is Face. Mm-hmm. And so she called me Face because every time I came up to her church or came up to White Plains, I was in somebody's face fighting yeah. and trying to do something. Yeah. So throughout the years of her mentoring, um, and she gave me so much. She's really like an aunt, a mother, best friend, mentor. She taught me how to smile. And so we're trying to reduplicate what she did for me, nice. for the young people. And so the way that I'm doing it is by incorporating celebrities into the classroom. And so since 2005, uh, how many celebrities have you had you know, access to to bring to the, to the classroom? And, and what has been the uh, effect on the program? Oh, it's just been fantastic. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it is the most amazing educational enrichment program on this earth. Nice. The vision, as in my dissertation, is to have this program in every school, every state. Um, I've had over 400 celebrities. Wow. 400 celebrities that have participated in some kind of way in the program. And it has been so amazing. Nice, nice. And so now you guys understand why we are saluting and celebrating Miss McClarity uh, for the work that she's doing. Someone who is from the neighborhood who, you know, had a you know rough start, uh, but is soon to be Dr. McClarity, CEO of Young Faces Smiling. Uh, if someone wanted to connect with you, where can they connect with you? Yes, please visit us on our website, youngfacesmiling.org. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr. We're just everywhere with Young Faces Smiling. Just Google us. And if you don't have have a problem, go to our website and donate. A dollar, $5, $10. Help us to enlarge in this program to make this a million kids laughing and learning. Mm, I want it. a million kids it. to laugh and learn. We love it. Round of, a, round of applause 
for Dr. McClarity. Soon to be. I'm still doing a dissertation. We, 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 no, we we are <laughs> speaking to existence. We are claiming it. Yes, uh, I'm claiming it, but. Doctor, there ain't no but. Everything mm. after but is is negated. So ain't no I'm but. I'm on my third chapter. Do- Dr. McClarity, <laughs> round of applause. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick music break. And then when we come back, uh, you know, we, we had a, a, a pretty... Uh, heated discussion. It wasn't heated, but we had, we were talking about Kanye. But it's you know Mental Health Awareness Month, um, and so we want to bring back our friend uh, Doctor Asha Terry, who is going to you know talk to us about mental health. But you know we we, we just talked about you know our our kids and our students, and so you know we're gonna transition to a song that's about our kids because I think hey, be all I want. Ask Cash, Cash. You're now tuned into the financial motivator himself. Ash Cash. Mr. Mind Right Money Right. Money Right. Money Right. We are back to Ash Cash Show every Friday, 7 p.m. WACR 90.3 FM, New York, the voice of Harlem, with Ash Cash and Miss Tashima Jones. And so we have uh, I mean, this is a first, right, where we bring back a guest immediately <laughs> from the week before. But we have Dr. Asha Tarry in the building who, um, you know, we had a decent conversation last week, a very good conversation. We talked about, uh, you know, Kanye West, the statements that he's mentioned and, you know, some of the things as it relates to, you know, 400 years of slave and uh, free thinking, a, a lot, a lot of different, um, you know, a lot of different thoughts. Uh, if I was, if I was more, if I had a bigger team, I would have probably like, you know, edited the show for last week, and I played some sound bites and be like, "Hey, she said this, <laughs> and we said this," but you know, we don't have that. Um, but I wanted to play a clip uh, because part of um, you know the the conversation uh, was around you know, what Kanye was saying, and, and, you know, it is Mental Health Awareness Month, um, and this is why we really thought it was important, because it's really important to just understand, uh, you know, where people, where, you know, where people are in their lives, and when they're going through issues, and things of that nature, um, and so some people thought, uh, or some people think, right, some people think that, um, you know, Kanye is just off, and a lot of the things he's saying didn't make any sense, um, and some people are like, um, you know, some people are like, okay, maybe he has some validity. Maybe he just doesn't know, you know, how to say certain things. Um, I wanted to play this clip because um, there's a young lady named Candace Owens, uh, which for the record, you know, some of the things, I, in my opinion, some of the things that she says is kind of on point. Some of the things she says is like, eh, I don't know. Um, and so, you know, me playing this clip is not me endorsing her or saying that she's 100% right. But I did want to play this clip. Uh, to get you know you know Asha's uh, thought on you know you know what she says uh, because part of the conversation that we were having uh, was a- around you know slavery was it a choice and you know free thinking and all this other stuff and, and, and as it relates to you know black and brown people as well so we're gonna play this quick clip um, and yeah let's play this clip. There is a, an ideological civil war happening by people that are focused on their past and shouting about slavery and by people that are focused on their futures, okay? I can guarantee you what you're seeing happening is victim mentality versus victor mentality. 
Victim mentality is not cool. I don't know why people like being oppressed. It's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. I love oppression. We're oppressed. 400 years of slavery, Jim Crow, which by the way, none of you guys lived through. Your grandparents didn't. It's embarrassing that you utilize, you utilize their history. You're not living through anything right now. You're overly privileged American. Truth is that the left wants to strap black people to this idea that they are victims. That's what it comes down to. They do not want black people focused on their futures. They want black people focused on their past. They like black people to be government dependent. They don't like to see black people that are free thinkers and are independent. And I think that's what Kanye West and myself represent. This is a tremendous time to be alive as a black American. We've been existing under this facade, these lies the Democrats have orchestrated because they consider us a, a low information voter market, you know, and they so they think we're not going to research the stats and we'll never find out. I hate the race card. It's played every election year. Every four years, the Democrats rally to get the African-American vote and we give it to them because, well, Republicans are racist, right? We usher them straight into the White House where they immediately forget about all of the promises that they made to us. For so long, they have told us that because there was a black president, this meant progress. Progress is not a skin tone. Progress is a number, okay? And for so long, we've been convinced. Look, he's taking a photo op with Beyonce and Jay-Z. That means absolutely nothing. Chicago got worse while Obama was in office, and he came from there. It's just the truth. It's what I've been preaching about long before Kanye wrote this seven-word tweet that broke the internet, is that they, at once, they enslaved our bodies, the Democratic Party. But say they have enslaved our minds. I was a liberal, and I can tell you exactly why. It has to do with the educational system. We learn our history wrong. We learn that LBJ was the greatest president for black America, and that couldn't be more false. I mean, what he did essentially enslaved us, the Democratic Party. I love the way Candace Owens thinks. La, la. That, that, you know what I mean? Like, afterwards, I was going to let the let the Kanye rock. Um, Dr. Asha Tari, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Pretty good. Happy pretty to good. have you back. Ha- Thank yeah, you happy for to have inviting you back. me back. It's good to be uh, here. So talk to us um, about what you just heard and you know, your, your thoughts on, uh, yeah, I mean, she said a lot, but your overall thoughts. Uh, I'll tell you how I feel mm. first. Um, I feel a little anxious because I think there are tons of people out there like her to think that way. Mm. Um, I, I don't know. Candace, I, I've heard of her name before. I don't know what race she belongs to or what ethnic uh, she's group. She's a black woman. But there are a lot of people who think that black people pull whatever card they have as if that's some kind of credit to their um, conversation. But I, I don't agree with anything that she said. Mm. Um, Dr. Boyce Watkins talks about all three parties, the Independent Party, the Republican Party, and the Democratic Party, and basically, and Jess says that none of those parties have ever represented black people. Mm. Um, so to think that one one group of people is doing more for black people than another is a, a falsity. Mm. Um, are we living in a time that's better now for black Americans than there once was? Maybe in some aspects, mm. And most others know. I believe black people actually were better off when we were segregated. Mm. Um, when we had speak our own thriving communities. Yep. When we looked towards each that, other. Now you speak about to, I, we coming back together. Yeah. <laughs> we coming back together. I mean, I, I do. Yep. I think that people think 
that integration was better for black people. I don't think so. Mm. I think segregation was black, better for black people. I think because we turned a dollar over multiple times within our own community, had our own resources from doctors and educators and healers. Mm. Um, we had our own school systems. We had a, a centralized pride mm. that I think has escaped us. Mm. And I think once we integrated and we gave up a lot of our power away to the white minority, we, we lost the sense of our unification and our identity with blackness mm-hmm. that now I meet young people who are like, don't even call me black. Wow. <laughs> don't call me black American. I'm just American mm-hmm. or I'm just a man or I'm just a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a problem mm-hmm. when, when you can't associate your cultural identity with a group of people who have come through a tremendous amount of history. Right. Uh, and as we talked offline last week, the history didn't start with slavery. Right. Right. So I think that there are puppeteers and puppets mm-hmm. that um, the media handpicks mm-hmm. to speak for a select group of thinkers. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a certain group think with that group too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, she doesn't, you know, for me, feel like she's well educated either mm-hmm. just because you quote some you know parts of history mm-hmm. um doesn't mean for me that you represent a lot of what we've gone through and what we continue to endure so it goes back to what we were saying last week about people personalizing this Kanye story right. um and how folks are responding to him and how people are then responding to that uh i still don't agree with what he said and i don't think that we should ever let him off the hook for it and yep. at the same time i think that we should probably stop paying so much attention to the fact that he said that yep. and continue to go back to the kids that listen to a Kanye record or think that, you know, the aspiration is to become a basketball star and start doing other things to empower them economically Mm -hmm. um, to look towards their own, to be able to build resources and stop thinking that the answer is in hip hop or it's in music or it's in commercial sports. Um, You know, I don't try to give that too much attention to what she said, but she obviously has a platform for a reason. Mm -hmm. And, um, and people want to feel good. Like that comment about our parents didn't come through uh, the Jim Crow era. And so we're living in a more privileged time. I think every generation has its own crisis. Right, agreed, agreed. And we're going through a certain level of crisis that's very regressive. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't escape it because now it's publicized through the media every day. And, um, and And I just think that we should probably try to do more to just look for solutions, which is why I wanted to come back to the show Mm -hmm. to um, unify us in a way that we have to look at how can we build up our institutions? Mm -hmm. How can we start reeducating our own kids and adults who are less educated than most of us have shown to be out here in the media Mm -hmm. Um, and stop trying to like be the first person to come against somebody else that doesn't really represent a large group of people. Absolutely. I agree. And so, you know, as it relates to um, these solutions, right? Um, what's the first step? Because last week you you mentioned something that I thought was really profound. Um, that you know, a lot of times, especially in the black community, we go through things, um, but there's really never any healing that's done. You know, we go through you know we go through different things and don't uh, get a sense of 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 healing and not and not healing in a in a Hillary Clinton super predator way, right? Because that's what she said, right? Did she say something like that? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not yes. sure. Yeah. Yes, I've heard that gonna... before. All right, so I don't mean like that, but I mean like what's the first, I don't know. I've heard her say it. I heard mm-hmm. her say like, I mean, all right, we digress. 
But when we when we talk about, um, so now I gotta use a different word. But what's the first step to making us whole? That's better, right, T? That's great. No, that's good. Healing was good, too. We we cannot allow someone to take away the power of our words. Yes. And I think, you know, with a lot of things that are going on, that's what's happening. So go ahead. (laughs) Uh, Just really quickly to backtrack, I would say I still think that people don't understand the definitions behind certain terms that they use. Mm. So calling yourself a free thinker as it pertains to history is not accurate because history is documented, whether in picture form or literature or it's recorded in any other kind of context. And so to be a free thinker means that you basically can think for yourself and you can um, concretize a certain form of thought, Mm. right, and have an opinion about something. That's not the same as saying that history did not exist. Right. So when we start coining ourselves as free thinkers and we try to apply it to something that is documented over the course of time, we have to question your understanding of what a free thinker is. And that's a great point because and 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 I I never really kind of you know put that together in in that way, but that's a great point because um you know, if 1 plus 1 is 2, you can't just say because I'm a free thinker, it's one three. plus one is seventeen. Yeah. Right. Like you just can't do that because yeah. you know Certain free things are proven. Exactly. And 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 like and like being a free thinker, you know, my understanding of being a free thinker is the ability to take the facts from both sides and then be able to say, you know, these are the facts, this is what's happening, and I I am free to, you know, come to my own conclusion based on the facts, based on the information that's already sort of been proven and not just making things up. And I and I do, and I've always saw the the danger, um, you know, in someone like, uh, you know, someone with, who has a big voice, uh, the danger in saying, okay, I just want to think free and I'm going to just say whatever I want to say, even if it's not based on fact, factuality, because in fact, the danger of that, and we've seen it in history, right? Like even when you think back to, uh, you know, you know, Jim Crow days, where people were, or even today, you know, you know, black and brown people are 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 painted in in a, in a certain light because somebody wants to be a free thinker. I, I've never been around black people before in my life, but because I think that this is the way I'm a free thinker, so I think this is the way black people are, and so I'm gonna say that 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 black person scares me, and because. I'm my free thought tells me that this black person scares me. It then justifies some of the brutalities and, and things that we have to sort of live with. And so, you know, I do agree that uh, free thought isn't just about waking up and having a, a thought that's not based on anything, but it is about looking for information uh, and 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 sources and being able to make up in your mind, you know, what you want to think based on that. And being a free thinker is literally just having your own opinion. Absolutely. It's not truth. <laughs> it's not you know? it's not truth. It's not yeah. fact. It's just your perspective of something. Um, but I think the danger in that is when you have a person who believes that they are a free thinker and then you have them with followers who may be swayed to believe what they believe just because they idolize them. I think that's the issue with this specific um, situation here. It's you can't go around, you know, professing something that isn't true to a group of people 
who aren't forming their own opinions. Correct. I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. When you ask the question, how do we heal as a whole? I want to separate out that that would not be determined by one person. Mm. Um, healing happens on a host of different levels and for different reasons at different times. Sometimes they co-occur, sometimes they don't. And as the individual, if we look at person to person as opposed to group <clears throat> perspective, I think individually people have different things they want to become. Uh-huh. Maybe for someone who is more outspoken or has a, a goal to be seen in the public or wants to be viewed as a genius, there's a different understanding of self uh-huh. than maybe the collective. And maybe those two don't gel well together. One of the criticisms I have often among people of color is that we do not have to agree on everything. Uh-huh. And even in my disagreeing with you, just like last week that Mm -hmm. we did, there's still no love loss. There's Mm -hmm. no respect loss. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to belittle you or Mm -hmm. humiliate you or call you names like people have done in this case Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because they disagree with his take on something that we know is, in essence, not true. Mm -hmm. So if and when the time comes that people agree to heal collectively then the collective group will decide how that will happen, mm-hmm. not the individual. No, absolutely. Um, so some actionable steps, as you asked me for, are number one, waking us up to the idea that oppression is a real life experience. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that you and I were talking about offline last week is there's so many people that because oppression is such an awful experience And it is one in which many of us have known and some of us are still living in and don't recognize it as there has to be a cause and effect with oppression. Otherwise, it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. If we don't understand our claim in it and our the effects of it on us, then we will never see it as a cause and effect. We'll only see it as it's affected us and we're holding the shame of it. Mm -hmm. But if we look at it in a context of there are systems created by non-people of color, that before we were taken against our will and brought into this country and all the countries around the diaspora, there were people who decided that we should make their lives comfortable Mm -hmm. in perpetuity. And as a result, have continued to find structures and systems to create to make sure that that continues. Mm -hmm. So because a few, and there are very few people of color, black people specifically, who are wealthy and what we understand as what is considered wealth, those people who are wealthy might not be in the majority and may not be as closely identified with the struggle anymore, but that doesn't mean that they aren't still part of the struggle and can do something to help those who are still oppressed. Because one of the issues that one of my colleagues I was talking with about this has is those few people who are wealthy have a responsibility to do something for all those who are not wealthy. And that's not just for people of color. That is the way in other systems have been set up, that if you have it, you give it. If you're able-bodied, you help those who are not able-bodied. So I think that part of the myth around um, self-actualization is that you have nothing else to work towards. Mm-hmm. We know that's not true. Mm-hmm. Until you die, you have something right. to always work towards. Right. So if we as human beings could start to, one, recognize 
the oppressive states that we currently live in, from not being free thinkers, from not also understanding that many of us have been asleep and in a dissonant state, that generationally we have been traumatized. And there are ways for us to break the trauma, including that if we disagree, you don't need to take the other person down for it. That's one way. Mm -hmm. Just bow out respectfully, say your piece and keep it moving. We don't have to get aggressive. Uh We don't have to, you know, call each other names. Um, We don't have to go to social media and be the first black person to say, well, that's wrong. This is why they're wrong and blah, 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 blah. We could do it respectfully. Um, Like I said last week and pull them aside and say, you know, come to the table with some information and let's talk about this and let's see how your points add up or don't. And then you determine for yourself if it's right or wrong and go back out and say, I made a mistake. Mm -hmm. Because as as a person who's developing and mature enough to do that, you can go back if you are able to and do that. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's one. We can agree to disagree respectfully. Two, we can recognize the oppressive states in which we live. Three, we can hopefully start to turn towards each other some more. Mm -hmm. And kindly, with compassion, be able to say, you know, I think that you need some help. If I see that you need some help and not get offended because someone is actually looking out for you. Sometimes we're offended if like when I used to work as a therapist in a school system, if you would go to a kid in the classroom and then you'd approach the parent and say, you know, I saw some things with your child. I want to talk to you about it. The teachers have presented some concerns to me. And so I think we could set up a meeting and the parents would get very you know, resistant at first because one, I don't know who I am. I'm not one of the teachers. I'm coming in as a therapist. Two, no one wants their kid to be labeled. Right. We know what the system has done to our kids. And three, now you're saying in essence, in their mind, I'm a bad parent. I'm not doing my job well. And you're pointing it out. So in seeing that one, people of color are not a threat to you, then one, you break down your own barriers to receive help Mm -hmm. so that we can have more elders, which we're missing in our community Mm -hmm. now, to confront you or those with the influence or power within the structures to help you to say, I'm trying to help you, sis. I'm trying to help you, brother. I'm not your enemy. There's so many times I'm just in the street myself personally and, and the looks I've gotten from other black women or the looks I've gotten from or things that black men have said to me because they think that I'm their enemy. I'm like, I'm not your enemy. That's the oppressor, right. you know, and we don't have to talk to each other a certain kind of way. So I think us pr- kind of trying to bring down our defenses more and be less resistant and more open to the help is here. We can access it more. We're demystifying mental health therapy now. There are more people of color like myself doing this work. We're doing it in mediums like here and television and whatnot. So I think for all of those ways, we can start to look at how we no longer deserve and never did to hold the shame Mm. of what the oppressor has done to us. Now we can take that power of having been oppressed and turn it into healing through actualizing what we want to do with ourselves and our families and what legacies we want to leave behind. Because the sad thing is that some of the generations before us did not leave adequate blueprints. And so it feels like we're starting over all the time. Mm -hmm. And that's hard for me. It's like, damn, I wish there was still Malcolm. You know, I still wish there was Marcus Garvey. I still wish there were all these people that were doing the, I still wish Angela Davis was doing Mm -hmm. it in the way that she was doing it so that we could say, let's have a meeting. Let's go to the Black Panthers headquarters. Let's go to these community service centers and sit down and collectively come up with plans of action. Let's start serving, you know, breakfast on the weekends to our kids. Let's start having mobile centers in the community to do medical and mental health treatment. Those are the ways that we could do that right now. Mm. We don't have to wait for anybody to come save us. We can save ourselves. Mm. 
No. And and to that point, I think that is part of the issue is us asking for assistance from a person who has denied it. It's why do you go to ask for your rights? Why do you? That's the whole point of the situation. This is what, you know, certain groups of people are set out to do. And then to also add, I think people also have to start on an individual level to even be able to break down your defenses. You have to be able to look in the mirror and say, I need help so that you can then accept that help when it comes to you. And I feel like too often we are trying to get to a cultural shift without that individual personal shift on the inside of us. Um, and I think once people are able to face themselves, they are then able to face the culture, face society um, altogether. But I think we have such a perspective of everything being on the outside of us that we don't look within us to, to get the, the help um, that we truly need. So, so I think that is a, a very important part to us healing as a, as a culture mm-hmm. and as a community is us healing on an individual level. Because if I'm not good within myself, I am no good to anybody else. Well, can I add two things to that really quickly? Mm-hmm. Number one, the, the statement that you made regarding why we look outside of ourselves to be able to get the help that we need. And in order to do better, we have to stop relying on those systems. That was what was constructed for us. Mm-hmm. See, when they thought we're going to emancipate these Negroes, well, then they didn't put anything in place for us to be able to become strengthened by our freedom, right? Because it still took two years for the rest of the union to let everyone else know that we were free. So even when black folks were migrating, there were no jobs for black people. We had to create our own income. We had to create our own system of sharecropping so we could then start to inherit our own land and pass it down to our children. So when they decided, okay, we're going to give them a little bit of privilege and a little bit might have been, we're going to build some projects or we're going to build some, um, you know, shared housing for them, then, okay, these people aren't educated. How are you going to educate them? Oh, well, now we got to talk about what kind of grants we're going to give to them to be able to go to school or what kind of systems we're going to be putting in place so that mothers could have, you know, pampers and milk for their children. Oh, but don't have the father in the family because then that means that you can actually thrive. And we're going to pull the father out of the household and make the mother reliant on public assistance. So now she can't go to work because if she's had a kid and the husband is not there anymore, the boyfriend's not there, now what does she do if she's uneducated? Maybe that third generation, that child she's given birth to, might be able to at that point go to school. But when they come home from school and mommy can't help them with their homework because she's illiterate, Uh then how again are we thriving? We're having to go back to the system and say, okay, I need another grant to be able to stay in public housing and to rely on you for food and rely on you for a little stipend to transfer my child to and from school. Now you've created all these systems where we're never free, okay? So that was constructed post-emancipation. Then we're talking about the collective, and, and I definitely feel you on individually how we can heal, but this is the one thing that we, I think, should shift a little bit in terms of our perspective, which is as people of African descent, we come from community, it is a European mindset to think that the individual comes before the community. Mm. In African culture, the community comes before the individual. So I believe wholly that 
the individual may not be aware that they need to change because they're by nature so focused on the self. The self is selfish. Okay. It is the group that makes the person unselfish. It is saying, my brother, my sister, I am you, you are me. So therefore, if you're hurting, I'm hurting too. If we don't start to empathize with your pain, then you don't matter because I can't feel your pain. So you get on by yourself. But if I empathize with your pain, I don't want to feel that pain. Therefore, you don't feel pain either. So I want to bring you along. This idea of like, we got to do it by ourselves is what we've been doing, which is why so many black people are oppressed and isolating and depressed as well. Because we think like, I can't have that exposed. I got to only work on myself. But I think if you don't realize that your success is grander when people are with you and they support you and they give you the resources that you need. Say you're a single mom and you want to own a small business, right? If you own a small business and you want to have a thriving small business, you need resources, financial resources, but you might also need childcare. You might also need transportation. You might also need food. You might need a whole, you might need an outfit for that gig. There's so many things that other people in your circle can give you so that you can thrive. Right. You can't do that by yourself. To, just to add to that point, when I do speak about the individual, I can speak for myself. Yeah. You know, you can argue many things, but you can't argue people's experiences. Mm -hmm. I had to recognize the hurt that was in me. And I didn't have the support around me because everybody around me was hurting too. So nobody could really help me. I, in a sense, had to look within and, of course, look above to God to really heal mentally and spiritually. When we think about the exterior things and the material things, yes, 100% we need each other. But in order, you can put a million dollars in a community of poor people and they will end up poor again because the mental aspect of it has to be on point because they'll lose it all over again. Just but, like you can give a, a, a rich man can go bankrupt and he'll come back up in a minute. It's not because of the resources. Mm -hmm. It's because of his mental <coughs> capacity to actually recreate those things. So on that level, I, I strongly believe that we do. Now, it's not to say that exterior, you know, people on the outside don't help us get to that level of spiritual awakening and mental, you know, clarity. But we definitely have to see the issue that lies on the inside of us, because that's the only way that we can really connect to one another mm -hmm. is understanding that that's that's the only way that you can even understand that you need your sister, that you need your brother is when you get over those insecurities on the inside of you or the shame or the guilt or the hurt, because, again, hurt people hurt people. So it's only by you really, and of course, you know, everybody's situation is different. There may be someone who is hurting, who has a group of people around them that, you know, they have to depend on those people to really, you know, build themselves up. But I do believe that we have to become whole as an individual before we become, become whole as a culture and as a community. I do to a degree agree with mm -hmm. that. I think that you could do both. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, both has to have yeah. to happen. And sometimes it happens, you know, in a group aspect, and then sometimes it happens on an individual level. But I, I truly believe that we have to conquer that enemy within ourselves. Yeah. In order to conquer that enemy on the outside, again, we are constantly, not constantly, <laughs> but we often look towards, again, the oppressor, if you will, to, to, to bring us out. Or... We heavily rely on the people around us. And that becomes a danger because then it's like you start to take from the people that are closest to you and not really give. And, that, so, and that, that's, that was going to be one of my questions, though, because and, and I'm you know, I, I, I agree 
that it starts within, <coughs> but I also agree that, you know, it, there's the community aspect because um, I know for me, fortunately, you know, my healing started when I separated myself from, mm-hmm. you know, those who were hurt, right? Hurt people hurt people. And so if you're constantly around people who are hurt, um, it's going to be very difficult for you to have that individual healing. And so, it w- it, you know, I had to remove myself from that toxic environment, mm-hmm. you know, to or in order to heal. But then the challenges I have is now... As a you know, as a as a woke, no, I'm just joking. As a, <laughs> I hate using that word. I just I just said that, but but as a healed, and not not fully healed, right? Because there's still things that I that I that I go through that I'm still you know figuring out that I you know that that I need to figure out. But mm-hmm. but as somebody who was able to repair some pieces of myself individually, when I go back though, it's still that difficulty in you know those who don't who don't have the opportunity. Um, to remove themselves or haven't had the opportunity. So like how, you know, like what comes first, the chicken or the egg, the horse, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I, like how, how do you, it's, it's like a complicated thing, right? You want, you want to heal or, or you want us to, you know, like, I know I, I want, want the community to, to be together and mm-hmm. understand some of these principles. That's why I do the work that I do, right. Is to understand how fight, you know, your, your financial health, you know, uh, affects all of the different type, you know, mm-hmm. your physical health, your mental health, you know, all of those things. Uh, but sometimes people aren't at that level of consciousness yet. And mm-hmm. so how do you, you know, how, how, do, how do you put those pieces together? And so that's the, you know. The, well, you know, I'll try to be brief so that we don't have a lot of time. Part three. I actually think, <laughs> yeah. that, I think that both of these um, mm-hmm. perspectives vibrate well with me, too, because, yes, I did the same. I separated out from a lot of people, but this is how I knew at those times, and there's always different kinds of healing, that I was healed. I had to go back into community, just mm-hmm. a different kind. Mm-hmm. And even when I was pulling myself out from certain people and situations, I had other people to help me to heal. Because to me, you only know that you're healed in your encounters with other people. Mm-hmm. You'll know mm-hmm. if, you, if you separate yourself out, you go, oh, I'm healed. Mm-hmm. And then somebody triggers something back in you, you know you're not healed. How right. did you know? Because somebody triggered that right, in right, you. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that being patient is a big part of this journey in the right for us to be civilized and humanized again. And, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that us being patient with people at their various stages mm. is really critical because if we give up hope, this is, I think, really, you know, bringing this round full circle. If we give up hope on the people who are so out of their mind, we think, then we're not even doing our work because we can't, mm-hmm. we cannot um, separate those people out from the rest of us. We cannot scapegoat them. Mm-hmm. Uh. We can't make them outcasts either because they may be trying to become one. So, we just have to put a different kind of light on them. But I think one Shine thing, a light on it. <laughs> hey. Number one, we have to be patient. Um, and I think some of my colleagues that I adore who are doing this work as well, you know, they, they're very passionate. They speak from the heart. They have a lot of information and knowledge. They have ways that they want people to get it. But sometimes when you got it and another person doesn't, it doesn't mean that they failed. Right. Or that you failed them, that they didn't get it. It's like that's not their time yet. They're not Mm -hmm. ready to get what you're trying to spoon feed them. Let them come in their own way. Just keep being compassionate and give them the information. Come back around and check in on them. You know, sometimes you have to plant 
seeds very deep and you have to allow a lot of time for it to sprout before you start to see change actually realize. So unfortunately, because we're a people that stand out, you know, for our color and the way that we speak and and the things that we go through, of course, it feels like we're always going through something, right? And we've seen this before. Our predecessors have come through and we're still trying to come through. But it's also because we know that this society in which we live is not the one that we feel the best in. Mm-hmm. We're we're really still trying to adapt to so-called black people uh-huh, uh-huh. in this world. We're we're not yet adapted. Mm-hmm. So part of that is that we're always struggling through some new and you know, movement. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But um I think that there's a lot of different times that we have to realize are coming. We gotta be patient with our brothers and sisters that don't see things the way we see it. Um, and that's fine too. Don't stop loving them. And at the same time, we we do have to continue to just work with those people aggressively that are willing to be in that change frame of mind so that those are the people that we take and we move forward a little bit quicker than the rest. But don't get frustrated because somebody doesn't get it yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And speaking of time, our time has come to an end. <laughs> uh, but obviously, you know, Asha, Tari, we are... Beyond words can't ex- express how grateful we are you for your time, for you just coming and sharing your wisdom. I know that when people hear these two interviews, they're going to be blessed by your wisdom, Thank by you, your friend. by what you are giving back. All right, round of applause Woo-hoo. for our sister, Dr. Asha Terry. Mr. Shima Jones, where can the people find you? You can find me at tashimajones.com. All of my social media and contact information can be found there. And me, you can find me, imashcash.com. Become my friend, friend on Facebook, facebook.com slash imashcash. Follow me on Twitter, twitter.com slash imashcash. And I'm on Instagram too, instagram.com slash imashcash. Till next week, same time, same, same place. place, free Kanye. Peace. Peace. You are now tuned in to the Ash Cash Show. Your number one source for financial motivation. Get your mind and your money right.